Good morning. Like Matt said, if you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here this morning. I want to encourage you in a couple ways. Uh, one, that Connect card means a lot to us. Uh, when you fill that out and after the message toward the end of the service, we'll pass the offering trays. You can put that card in there. Our elders are getting ready to go on a retreat. We're going to spend a day together, and part of that retreat is going to be dedicated to praying for you. And so if you have a prayer request, go ahead and throw it on that card um, and turn that in. We would love uh, the, the privilege of praying for you and your families uh, together this next week. Um, we're finishing a series today uh, that we've been in all summer through the book of Proverbs called Blind Spots. But next week, um, next week we're going to launch a brand new series, and we're going to spend the entire fall uh, as a church walking through First and Second Timothy. And uh, we're calling the series This Is Us, because First and Second Timothy speak very specifically to what the church is, how, how we function with one another, how we love for one another, how we care for one another, how we uh, protect and lift up truth and, and go after Jesus together. And so we want to spend uh, that time. We tell you in advance, because I want to encourage you, open up your Bible this week. Start reading through First Timothy. Um, start getting prepared and ready to hear from God in the coming weeks as we open his word together uh, as a church. But today we do want to go ahead and uh, finish... Uh, the book of Proverbs uh, from this summer, and I want to start us off by praying together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to come and to read your word. God, this is not something we take lightly. There are brothers and sisters meeting around the world uh, under fear of heavy persecution uh, to be allowed to open your word and to study it together, and so, Father, we're grateful for this moment, and so, God, we just ask that you would speak clearly uh, that you would impact our hearts and allow us to leave here different than when we arrived. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this series, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed it. Um, I've loved walking through this book. Uh, the heartbeat of the book is really about comparing two things, wisdom and foolishness. You've got King Solomon, and his whole goal is simply to say, hey, there's this way to live. There's this better way for you to live. And, and he pushes us toward wisdom by reminding us of the danger of foolishness. And we've called it blind spots because a lot of the foolish things we experience in this life happen and they creep up on us without us recognizing it. And before we know it, we're like, whoa, I didn't even see that big, horrible, uh, difficult thing that I've been struggling with. I didn't even notice it. And Solomon's like, you've got to pay attention and be intentional if you want to live a life of wisdom that God can bless. And so each week we've walked through what uh, Proverbs has to say about that wisdom. And today we're going to close out the series and we're going to talk about the wisdom of our words, seeing our words and the impact that our words can have. I don't know if you know this, but the average person uh, speaks around 7,000 plus words a day. Uh, you say about 7,000 different words in a day. And some of you are thinking, well, that average is probably because ladies speak about 20,000 and guys speak a lot lower, and you'd be right, actually. Ladies do carry that average higher, and guys kind of bring it back down. I've learned in my home, I have a lot of meetings each day in ministry, and so you meet with people all the time, and uh, you're talking, and you're meeting with staff, and meeting with different people in the community, and before you know it, like, I've exhausted my 7,000 words. I come home, and I'm like, I've been talking all day, and I get to my wife, who has been with our, uh, now our kids are in school, and so my wife's with the baby all day, and she's like, I haven't used any of mine, and so like, I've used all mine, I haven't used any of mine, and, and she wants a discussion with an adult for a little while, and, and you got to dig deep to get to that. Why? Because you realize that words are important, and they're powerful. Solomon talks about it over 90 different times in the book of Proverbs. He'll mention the influence that your words can have, the power of your words, because he understood something very true, and he actually communicates it with great clarity in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power 
of the tongue. Understanding what this means can revolutionize your entire life. And imagine if an entire church really came to understand the power that our words can have, and we began to live this out as a church. We could change our entire community, if not the entire world, with this truth. I mean, think about it. Some of your greatest memories, some of the times looking back on your life are formed around some of the things that people said to you, words that were spoken to you, and the power that those words had to even sometimes change the very direction of your life, if not simply encourage you to recognize something you might not have seen in yourself. They, great memories formed around laughter, seat, seated around a table on a vacation with family members, and you remember that joke that somebody told, and, and you remember why you guys were laughing together, and you share those memories with your words. See, our words have power, but at the same time, some of your worst memories are formed around words, formed around hurtful, mean things that people have said to you that have pierced through your heart, have made you begin to believe lies about yourself that have changed the very direction of your life. You see, we need to come to understand that words, that the power of death and life, lie in the power of the tongue. Your words have the ability to speak life or to steal life from the people that are around you. They just do. This is illustrated all throughout the Bible. Think about this. In Genesis, when God created, right? When he first began to create, when he, when he took nothing and made something, how did he do it? With his words. God looked at nothing and he began to speak and he said, uh, let there be light and there was light, let there be land and, and let there be sea and let there be fish and let there be birds and let there be animals. And God's very words had the power to bring life and to create. And not just there, but you, you come down, you might say, well, Rob, I, I'm not on board with that. Like, I believe in the Big Bang. I believe in a Big Bang too, that when God spoke, there was a Big Bang and he created with his words. He created just with speaking. Think about that. Out of nothing came something simply by the words of God. Later on in the Old Testament, a 99-year-old sterile man named Abraham believed what God said. God said, you will have a child. Nothing medically or scientifically supported that. And yet, because of the power of God's word, he literally brought life into a 90-year-old womb, and Isaac was born. Simply by speaking words. Think about the life of Jesus in your Bible. Most of Jesus' miracles had to do with speaking words. Sure, not all of them, like he spit in the mud every once in a while, but most of his miracles had to do with speaking words. Think about this. Jesus looked at people, spoke, and lame people could walk. Don't let that be lost on you. Like, Jesus would speak, and they could get up and walk. Jesus would talk, and people that had never been able to see for the first time with clarity had vision. But Jesus would speak, and the storm would listen to him. This week, I was writing this part of the sermon and I realized each night in my home, uh, there were three different times this week where there was like a storm, lightning, something going on outside in the middle of the night, and it would wake my daughter up. And I know it's my daughter every time because it's always her. And so I'd be laying in bed, and on the laminate floors, you'd hear footsteps. Here comes Abby. And she comes into our room. I'm scared. Okay, I'll tuck you in. Okay, I'll tuck you in. Okay, I'll tuck you in. And we will, I'll walk her back to her room. I tuck her in and give her a kiss. And, and calm her down, and then I go back to bed each week. And I thought, how great would it be if she says, I'm scared, and I go and I lay her down, and I say, watch this, and I open the window to her bedroom, and I say, knock it off! Like, quit it! And the storm would just listen to me, and it would stop. Like, that's literally what Jesus did, right? The, the disciples are scared. Like, Jesus, wake up, we're terrified. He's like, oh, all right, I'll tuck you in. He didn't say tuck you in. He said, all right, all right, guys, listen. Knock it off! And the storm stopped. Simply by talking. Right? Because he understood the power, the power of life and death was in the power of his tongue. He brought life. He could overcome death. He had power simply with his words. 
simply by speaking into the life of other people. After Jesus' resurrection, he ascends uh, to heaven. The disciples, those who followed Jesus in the early church, their words began to carry power because Jesus promised them it would. And I love this, right? At the beginning of the story, you have the book of Acts. You've got Peter and John, and they're walking into the temple for worship. And there's this lame man, a paralyzed man who's a beggar. He's been paralyzed his entire life. And Peter and John are walking in, and he's expecting to uh, ask for money. And, in, and he does. He's like, hey, please, money, money, money. And they kneel down, and they make eye contact, and they literally say, look at me. Look at me. You haven't looked at people in a long time. You haven't been given dignity in a long time. You put your head down and your cup up, but I want to make eye contact with you. And then Peter speaks these words in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, and he says this, I have no silver and I have no gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. And for the first time in this man's entire life, he felt power in his legs and he got up and he walked and he praised God and celebrated. And it came from the power of Peter's words, speaking that truth. Think about the nature of the gospel, the very nature of the gospel. Gospel is a word we use in church a lot that we'll never stop using because it's a beautiful word, but it means good news. That's all it means. Good news. And what is good news? How is it proclaimed? How is it shared? Good news is shared with words. I've heard people say this numerous times, like there comes a point in time where the gospel, the truth of Jesus, must be proclaimed. And God has entrusted you. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called an ambassador. You are a representative of the one who sent you. And there comes a point in time in your representation of Jesus where words must be used to communicate the good news of Jesus. No one's reading your Christian camp t-shirt and asking, what must I do to be saved? It's just not going to happen. At some point, you must proclaim that truth with your words. Think about the first time you heard the gospel clearly articulated the good news of Jesus, where someone told you Jesus did for you what you were powerless to do for yourself, that he overcame the death that you deserve to die because of your sin, not only overcame, he resurrected from the dead, ascended to the Father, and has sent the Holy Spirit to live in you to give you boldness and courage to speak words of truth. The very nature of it tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. For the last two and a half weeks, I've been on a study break, uh, and graciously, the elders afforded me to do that, and I get away, and I get to read things that aren't just for sermon preparation, and and get to meet with different people, and I've been at this for nine months in the lead minister role, and I've needed that time uh, to learn, because what I've learned is that I don't know really anything, and so, which is very confident for you now, right? Yeah, that's great, thanks. Uh, But I've got a lot to learn, and so on this break, I spent time reading one of the books I read was this, it was a little academic, but in the book, he uses this incredible analogy where he talks about the power of your words by comparing two different speeches or sermons given by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the first one was a sermon given in 1955 where he stood in front of a church and he looked at the Exodus story. And he gave all kinds of statistics and numbers and examples to say that the the lives of black people in his day were very much like the lives of the Israelites in the Exodus. And while the content was absolutely true, he was right. It lacked the power that people were used to hearing from Dr. King. He said they're just statistics and numbers, like the words weren't really powerful in this. And yet he takes that and he says, now on the last night of his life, the night before he was killed, he gives a speech. And he says, he compares these two and he says, very much similar content. He looked at the Exodus and he compared the, the situation that black people were faced with in our country and he compared it to the Israelites and again, all the information was right, but yet this time something was different. The author says, somewhere along in the speech, he looks off in the distant sky and he declares 
famously, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. And in a moment, it was no longer a spectator in the audience, but a participant in a story. And Dr. King in that moment, he's Moses. And he's saying, I've seen hope. I've seen the promised land. And in that moment, he brought hope to an entire country that things could be better. And he did it with the power of his words. Just beautiful words, powerful words. Because he understood that death and life lied in the power of the tongue. Look, you've experienced this uh, throughout the Bible. You've experienced this in your own lives as well. We look at powerful words from other people, but you know what this is like. You remember the times when the right person had the courage to come and speak exactly what you needed to hear at the right time, and it pierced your heart, and it changed your life. I think the number one killer of good, true words are assumptions. We assume somebody else will say it, or they already know it. And God's saying, no, you're my ambassador in this moment, and you need to speak it. Speak that truth. And you know what it's like. You've experienced the power in your own life. I got a text message. This will blow your mind. I got a text message from David this last week. <laughs> yes, I did not. That's true. <laughs> he sent me a text message that was one of the most encouraging notes I've ever heard in my life. Right through my heart. Right in the middle of a moment that I needed, God used his courageous, powerful words to lift me up when I needed to hear it. You've experienced this in your life, too. But I can also remember times where people have said things to me that have pierced my heart and they've hurt and they've scarred me and I've carried wounds with me my whole life. And I can vividly tell you times from elementary school and middle school where certain words were said that have stuck with me my entire life. You've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never... What a lie, right? Sure, sticks and stones will always hurt when, they get, when you get stuff thrown at you. That's always going to hurt. But words have the potential to crush you they can rip the life right out of you. They can take the wind out of your sail. They can flatten you. And those words can stay with you for a lifetime. And here's the hard part. The words that crush us are not just the words that we speak, but also, are not just the words that we receive, but also the words that we offer and speak to others. I'm guessing in a room like this, a gathering of people like this, there's a lot of us that can vividly remember words that we said that we wish we wouldn't have. And we're carrying the crushing weight of words that we wish we hadn't spoken. And we've walked with that guilt of saying things that, man, that's just, I wish I didn't say that. I've shared this with you guys before. I carry that with me all the time. The last words I ever spoke to my mom were words I wish I never would have said. See, my mom, I had had the joy of baptizing her one year before she passed away. And I was up here um, coming up to plan my wedding with my wife and I got off the airplane and I'm carrying all of our stuff from the baggage claim and I'm trying to get to her dad's car and you know you don't want him to have to circle back around and my mom calls and I answered it and she just wanted to keep talking and talking I said mom I gotta go I gotta load the car and she just kept going I said mom I don't have time for this and I hung up and then she died that night I gotta carry that with me now God's put awesome people in my life that have given me a fresh perspective on that my mom was a Christian. I'm going to see her again. I understand. And, and yet, in that moment, I learned a valuable lesson. Words, death and life, lie in the power of the tongue. Our words have the potential to give life or to steal it. This is why, in your life, there are times where you wish you wouldn't have said certain things. But what you don't always catch and understand what we're blind to, of the blind spot in our lives, is that we don't realize that it's not just words, that all of our words are a reflection of our heart. 
they're actually feelings that are there, they're reality in our heart and in our lives, and the words come out, but they are a reflection of something much deeper, and we're blind to that at times. This is why Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he says, a good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, what's buried deep in your heart produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil heart produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks, out of the overflow of your heart. What's going on in here is what comes out. The words you speak are a reflection of what's going on in your life, in your heart. And so what Jesus is telling us is this, when you say something to somebody, and then you try to correct yourself by saying, I wish you, I wish you didn't have to hear that, what you're actually saying to them is, I wish you didn't have to see that. I wish that I didn't show you that part of my heart that evil part of my heart, that sinful part of my heart. I wish I, I wish I actually didn't reveal that part of my heart. It's not so much I wish you didn't hear it, it's I wish you didn't see it. I think this is why Solomon, over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs, warns us about the power of our words and the importance of our words. And so today, as we close out this series, I want to look at the book of Proverbs and find three simple characteristics that should season our speech if we're followers of Jesus. Three characteristics that Solomon says over and over again, your words should be seasoned like with salt, with these, these characteristics. Because here's the goal, all cards on the table, if you're a follower of Jesus, the whole goal of your life is to become more like him. And so Jesus, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1 verse 17, says the word, the word was full of grace and truth. Every, Jesus never wasted a word. Never. He never wasted a word. His words were seasoned with grace and with truth. His, his words were intentional. He understood that death and life lie in the power of the tongue, and so he chose wisely what he was going to say. Side note, I think Jesus was also understood the power and the wisdom of listening before you speak. I've learned that the hard way in my life, that the most effective communication starts with listening. In marriage, in ministry, in friendships, Across the board, all communication, I think it's a universal truth. The greatest communication begins with the greatest form of listening. You listen intently before you speak. This is Jesus. And so these three characteristics, we're going to just list them out. You can take a picture of the screen, write them down. I hope they're an encouragement to you. The first one is this. Proverbs would tell us that our speech must be seasoned with words of truth. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6 say this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What he's saying is, if we love somebody the way that Jesus has called us to, then our words must speak truth to them, even when it's difficult. And you know what I'm talking about. There are times where you know something is true, and you need to bring it to somebody else. You need to reveal a truth in their life, and you just know this is going to be the most difficult conversation I've ever had. I don't want to be the person that has to share this. And I think a lot of us are wired one of two ways. One, you're passive. Maybe you're a people pleaser, and you're thinking, I'm just going to assume somebody else will point that out. Other people have to see it. I'm not the one to say, I just want to keep peace. And if that's the case in the world that we live in today, think about this. The world we live in today, truth is far too easily excused in the name of peace. When in reality, the most unloving thing that we can do is to ignore people's sin. It's one of the most unloving things you can do for somebody that you actually pro proclaim that you care about and you love about. One of the most unloving things that you can do is ignore their sin because you want to keep the peace when in reality, in the long term, you're creating havoc in their life. Far too many of us value our own comfort over the spiritual health of the people that we say that we love. And the Bible says, no, your words must be seasoned with truth. You must have the courage to call it out. Others of us might battle with what I've battled with over the years. There are times where I'm a little too eager to share that truth with people. And I know some of you are because I've had conversations with you. 
There are times where we're, I can't wait to share the truth with him. I, I, I'm always about truth. I'm going to tell him how it is. I'm wired that way. I'm never going to ignore the truth. I'm the person. Send me in. I'll be the one that communicates this truth to them. Some of us have no problem with it. And look, both situations are bad. Because the first characteristic, while our speech must be seasoned with truth, that truth is lost if we don't have the second characteristic, and that is this. Our speech must be seasoned with words of grace. You cannot expect the truth to be effective if grace is not included. I've heard it said this way, shock effect closes ears. People don't want to hear it, even if it's true. But surprise opens their hearts. Grace is the source of surprise. It always is. And so your truth must be seasoned with grace. Proverbs 15, verse 4 says it this way. A gentle, the Hebrew word there literally means healing. So a healing tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Anytime you read about the tree of life in the Bible, it's always in God's presence. Why is that important here? Because if your healing words, if the goal, if the aim, if the focus of you speaking to other people, engaging in conversation with other people, if the goal is healing, the whole goal is to get them back connected to the presence of God. That's the tree of life. So a healing word reconnects people with the God who loves them. That's grace. That's what it means to season your speech with grace. That Yes, truth is important, but I will also season my speech with grace because my goal in all of this is that you would get connected to the Father. And here's the thing, without exception, I can't think of a good reason. I can't think of an example where when we speak negatively to somebody about somebody else, I can't think of a way that the goal of that is healing. Every single time when we speak negatively to someone about somebody else, even when you call it a prayer request, it's gossip, it's slander, it's hurtful. Your goal is not to bring healing. Your goal is to have personal satisfaction in that moment. And so when you share negative things about somebody else with somebody else and you say, I just want you to be able to pray, brother, and then you unload it, sharing intimate details about somebody else's life. This is why the Bible over and over and over again says, watch out, be on guard, protect yourself from gossip and slander. Don't trash the name of somebody else to make you feel good. I think this is why Jesus oftentimes was quiet. I think Jesus would retreat all the time and he'd go get refreshed from the Father. And every time he came back on the scene, his words were never wasted. Every single word he spoke was full of truth and full of grace. Jesus' goal, his aim was never to hurt. His his aim was always to reconnect even the people that were against him. His goal was to connect them to the presence of the Father. Jesus had wisdom with his words. I love it. In John chapter 11, there's this beautiful example of how Jesus viewed communication as a whole. And man, there are just a ton of lessons we can learn from it. I'll give you the shorter part of this story. Jesus had a close friend named Lazarus, really close friend. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, were also, they were just this close-knit group of friends. Well, Lazarus, Lazarus dies, and Jesus doesn't get there in time, on purpose. Lazarus has now been dead for a few days, and Jesus is just on the outskirts of the town called Bethany. And they get word. And so Martha, one of the sisters, comes running out to Jesus, and she says to him, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And Jesus, very articulate, says, do you not believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Don't you believe that I have the power over life? And she doesn't get it. And she says, yes, later on. He goes, no, right now. And she goes, oh, uh, I'm going to go get my sister. And she runs back to town She sends her sister out, Mary. Mary comes out. Mary says the exact same thing that Martha said. If you'd been here, my brother would be alive. Same thing. But Jesus reads the situation instead of just spouting off the truth. 
And he reads, what communicated well with Martha might not be the same thing that communicates with Mary. And he looks at her and he says, where have you brought him? And he weeps with her and he hugs her and he cries. And then in a beautiful display of the power of his words, Jesus walks right by the tomb. He says, unroll the tomb. And standing there, does he go in and fireworks go off and there's a smoke coming out and loud music and Jesus walks out and says, told you, like magic. No, he doesn't do that. He stands a distance from the tomb, probably because it smelled, but other reasons. He opens it and he, he says, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And he comes back to life. And he walks out of that tomb because of the power of the words of Jesus displayed three different ways in a beautiful way. First, rebuking somebody who wasn't seeing what they needed to see. The second, listening well and encouraging somebody else. And third, showing that he is the Lord of lords and has power over everything. Everything. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you just something about speaking with grace, just a couple things, because some of us really struggle with this. I've struggled with this. Some of us think, no, I just have to be honest. I'm always going to tell the truth. That's the way I'm wired. Rob, you don't understand. I grew up, and it was just tell the truth. And so I'm always going to be a truthful person. This whole grace thing, that's cool. I'll let Jesus take care of grace. I'm going to speak truth. And I learned a long time ago, this this easy phrase. It's not going to come up on the screen, but you can write it down. Uh, This is advice from somebody else that they gave to me. Whenever you have to have hard conversations with somebody, it's always best, always. And I I think it's strong enough for me to say, I think if you disagree with this, that you're wrong. And, And I'm not saying that to be mean. Again, it wasn't my wisdom. Always talk about heaven before you talk about hell. Bring encouragement and grace to a situation before you have to critique it. I can't tell you how many painful experiences in my life would have been spared if I'd applied that truth. Just talk about heaven before you talk about hell. Here's the acid test to tell you if your heart's in the right place or not. Here's how you tell if you're prepared and ready to have hard conversations. When you are speaking hard truth for the right reasons, it never feels good. It never feels good. It's never a great feeling to have to go and point out a flaw in somebody else, a hard, difficult truth. It never feels good. And if it does, your heart's not ready. Rarely have I met anybody who's effective in helping other people get connected to God who says, can't wait to crush them. Send me in. I'm going to level them. And you're like, oh, I wouldn't go that far, Rob. Sure, I want my goal to be grace. I want my goal to reconnect people with the Father. But at the same time, I want them to know they were wrong. At the same time, I want them to know that they hurt me. At the same time, I want them to know what the truth is. And if that's your heart, if you're a mix, if you say, like, I'm kind of a mix, I kind of want to get them connected to the Father, but also really point out what the the gravity of how wrong it was, what they did. If that's your heart, do me a big favor and keep your mouth closed. Keep your mouth closed until your heart and your desire to be right subsides. Because at that moment, your heart's in the right place. Here's the thing I've learned. You'll never regret waiting, not avoiding, but waiting to speak hard truth. And you very well may regret speaking it too soon when your heart's not ready to speak that truth into the lives of other people. Last characteristic. So we are to speak with truth and we are to speak with grace. And the last one is one that you need to not only use when you communicate with other people, but you really need to make sure that you're using it on yourself because a lot of us are not very good at this. The last one is this, words of encouragement. We're supposed to season our speech with words of encouragement. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 22 says this, for they, the word of God, the words of the Lord, are life to those who find them and healing to their flesh. So God's word, the word of God, what we would call the Bible, it is, it, it's life to us. It gives us life and encouragement and it brings healing to our broken hearts. Okay, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, it says this, 
The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So it says, hey, first of all, he's saying this, that God's word is a source of life. God's word is a source of healing. And the words of those who claim to follow God must also be a fountain of life and encouragement. Literally, what it's calling us to do is to be people of encouragement. We constantly encourage other people. Do you understand? The Bible actually talks about this. It says that you have the gift of encouragement, and it's the most overlooked spiritual gift today, I think. Because it's not sexy, it's not fun, it's not uh, attention-getting. You're not the person who's always getting the attention. I mean, how many of us, if you don't know your Bible, know who Barnabas was? And yet the Bible says his name literally means son of encouragement. All he did was go around encouraging other people and lifting them up. And here's what I mean by encouragement. It wasn't fluff. It means literally to speak courage into the lives of other people. That's what the word literally means. So what you're doing when you are a person of encouragement, when Christians season their language with encouragement, you are helping other people see themselves the way that God sees them. You're helping speak the encouragement. Don't don't you know how God sees you? Don't you know that he's crazy about you? Don't you know that he loves you? Here's why that's hard. It's easy for us to do that for other people and yet very difficult to apply it to ourselves. We'll read the Bible and it, that'll be good and we'll want to be encouraged and, and we'll find some encouragement from time to time. But a lot of times, many of us allow ourselves to listen to the lies of the enemy who comes and he whispers in your ear and he tells you lies about yourself, that you're not good enough, that you're not pretty enough, that you're not talented enough, that God can't use you, that you don't have enough, uh, you, you're not good looking, smart, make enough money, protect you, whatever, whatever lie it is that he's whispering into your ear, that you'll never overcome this problem that you have, that you'll never be able to restore what was broken in the past, there is no hope for you, and you begin to believe those lies about yourself. And sure, you can continue encouraging other people, but eventually that well runs dry because it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth will speak. And you can fake it for a little while. But if you've got no encouragement left in your own heart, how do you expect to offer real encouragement to other people? And so we need to get better at allowing God's word to bring encouragement, to combat the lies of the enemy, and listen to the word of God that says you are good enough, you are valuable, you do have purpose. God does love you. God does want to use you. God can give you talent. The Spirit can give you boldness. The Spirit can give you courage. The Spirit can give you the ability to love other people. You are, it doesn't matter how you look and what your appearance is, God looks at your heart and it continually reminds you of these truths that no matter what the enemy or the, or the people that are around you have lied to you about over the years, the word of God can overcome those lies with his encouragement. And a sermon can only take you so far. A sermon can only take you so far. I love the way Martin Luther summarizes this. It's a long quote, but it's a good one. Take a picture of the screen if you want. You're going to have a hard time writing it down. But here's what what Martin Luther, the, the father of the Reformation, said this. He said, in other words, others might tell me that I'm a failure, an idiot, a clown, evil, incompetent, vicious, dangerous, pathetic. Some of you believe those things about yourselves. And these words, they're not just descriptive. They don't just describe me. They have a certain power to make me into these things. In the eyes of others, and even in my own eyes, as self-doubt creeps in and the devil whispers in my ear, I continually believe the lies. He says, but God's word speaks louder, and his word is more powerful. You may call me a liar, and you speak the truth, for I've lied. But if God declares me righteous, then my lies and your insult are not the final word, not the most important word. I have peace in my soul because God's word is real reality. That's why I need to read the Bible each day, to hear the word preached each week, to come to God in prayer, and to hear the words of grace from other brothers and sisters as I seek to speak the same to them. Only as God speaks his word to me, and as I hear that truth in faith, is my reality transformed into the insults of others, of my own sinful nature, and the evil one cease to constitute my reality. The words of my enemies, external and internal, might be powerful for a moment, like a firework exploding against the night sky, but 
The word of the Lord is stronger, brighter, and lasts forever. Now, a quote like that will get you pumped up, right? What do you do in those quiet moments when you're not here? There's no stage, there's no music. You're by yourself, driving down the road, and the enemy whispers to you, you're a failure. You could have accomplished so much more in your life. You, you could have loved her better. You could have treated him better. You've messed up too much. It can't be fixed. What about those moments? Will you have God's word hidden in your heart so that in those moments, the encouragement from the word of God would spring forth and combat all the lies that this world and the enemy have been whispering into your life? Will you allow God's word to be the source of your encouragement? It's the only source that will last forever to combat the powerful lies of the culture and the enemy that you're up against every day. It's the only way, filling your heart with that encouragement that you'll be able to season your speech with truth and grace. So I thought, how do you close this out? I think one of the best ways to close a sermon and sermon series like this out would be for us to come back to the heart of Proverbs, the heartbeat, two verses that I think explain the whole book. And so I want us to read them together. As a gathered church, I'm going to ask you to stand together. We're going to close out our time declaring this truth. My prayer is that you would accept this truth, that you would adopt this truth into your life, that you would begin to live this out each day. This would become your motto. As we close out this sermon series as a church together, we would say as a church, we want this to be the descriptor of our lives. And so we're going to read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 together as a church. One, two, three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths.